Welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. About a week ago, I, um, well, let's be honest, totally shamed my list, my email list, into coughing up some ideas about how they get better at delivering value to clients, hopefully in a systematic, ongoing fashion. And after I got sort of nasty for a moment, I got this wonderful, overwhelming um, deluge of responses that included 52 good, somewhere between good and great ideas about how to get better at delivering value. One of those responses was from my guest today, Bob Lalish. And, you know, I Bob's email was intriguing, interesting. And as I often do, when people on my list respond to the daily emails that I'm sending, I'll go check, sort of check them out online. Part of that is because I'm always interested in recruiting um, guests who are willing to tell their stories on this podcast and also trying to find examples for this uh, database that I maintain online, specializationexamples.com. And I headed over to Bob's site and just got more and more excited about the prospect of him being a guest on this podcast. He agreed after I asked him, and we spoke earlier today, and so I'm publishing today's episode a little later than usual and dividing it into two parts. Our conversation was, to me, absolutely uh, riveting and fascinating, and I hope it is to you, even though I am a little concerned that the subject of the conversation, which was basically, well, it was two things. It was, um, what is thought leadership? That was one question we were trying to answer. And then the other is, uh, how does Bob move the needle for his clients? And as hard as I tried to keep those two questions separate, I just, I couldn't pull it off because I, I just, I'm like a, you know, a dog with a bone. I just can't, I get so interested in what people have to say about subjects like this that I can't resist just going where the conversation goes. So instead of those being two cleanly separated conversations, they're one sort of intermingled conversation. Again, my, my concern is, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but my concern is that some of it might be over my listeners' heads in terms of some of the nuances of this idea of thought leadership. I, I hope that's not true. And I hope that every time, you know, if you're a self-employed software developer and the whole idea of thought leadership is sort of a mystery to you or something you've never really thought about, you can substitute one or more of the following names where anytime you hear us say, you know, thought leadership or talk about that concept in general. So in the world of software development, people like Jeff Atwood, DHH, Joel Spolsky, Eric Reese. Those are names of people who would fit pretty well into the role of thought leaders. They're considered thought leaders. And in my conversation with Bob, I think you're going to get a, a very you know, detailed, functional understanding of what it actually takes to do that. And you know, hopefully it, it sort of demystifies the whole thing for you if it's a mystery or if it's not so much of a mystery, it's just something that you haven't really known how to approach, there's there's part of the conversation where 
Bob gets very practical about how you would start. And um, I don't know, I just, to me, I found the whole thing very fascinating and exciting. And um, you'll hear that the audio quality was not perfect. Um, That's mostly on my end because I was sitting on the front porch of my house when I recorded this interview. So I was sitting next to a, I'm not kidding, a, um, a four foot tall wind chime. At one point I was sort of muting myself and disassembling this thing to reduce <laughs> taking the, the wind flapper off of it so that it didn't make as much noise. And anyway, those sort of uh, audio issues notwithstanding, this is, I, I think just almost in the top 10 for sure of interesting conversations that I've had and been able to share with you on this podcast, which by the way, that reminds me, um, someone uh, emailed me about the uh, a recent interview I had. And if you ha- ever have, you know, like feedback on this podcast, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Uh, of course, I would rather hear positive feedback, but, uh, you know, if something resonates with you or if it's interesting and intriguing, but it doesn't quite fully answer the question and you would like more, that's that's the stuff I can actually take action on. You know, if you don't like my podcast, uh, you don't have to listen to it. I'm probably not going to change how I do it for one person. But if there's something where you're like, oh, wow, more of that or go deeper on that, I would really love to hear that because that is something I'm eager to uh, hear feedback on. So you can just email me. It's philip at philipmorganconsulting.com, just one L in both instances of philip there. So philip at philipmorganconsulting.com. Would love to hear from you if you have thoughts about the podcast or uh, suggestions for stuff you want to hear more of. This really is you know, it's partially just raising awareness for my paid services, but it's also the thing that keeps me going is knowing that I'm making a difference for folks who want to make that transition from a pair of hands to an expert or from a generalist to a specialist or from someone who suffers a feast-famine dynamic in their business to someone who actually has more control over things. All of those those transitions are what I'm trying to help create and in hearing that the, that actually does happen, which it does. I do hear people write me all, all the time <laughs> to tell me these uh, little victories that have happened in their business. Uh, that's what keeps me going. So with, I think, no more further ado, here's part one of my conversation with Bob Lawlish. Okay, we're live. Bob Lawlish, welcome to the show. Thanks, Philip. Great to be with you. So I wanted to um, have you on the show because you've got some expertise that is rare. And and I, I wanted you to first talk about how you use that expertise to create a difference for clients. And then we're actually going to chop this into two pieces. And uh, hopefully you're going to deliver a, um, a sort of mini education on on what it is you do, because that's also useful to folks who listen to this podcast. So, Bob, let's start by uh, the, with the standard question. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of a solo consultancy called Science Plus Story. And I founded Science Plus Story in 2015. Uh, it guides research-driven organizations to become thought leaders 
Uh, so let me define a couple of terms in there. Research-driven organizations. By that, I mean <clears throat> think tanks, uh, university-based research institutes, NGOs. Uh, there are a few for-profits. These are organizations that all rely on research either as their main product or research is foundational for how they do business and they market themselves. Um, so a lot of people do thought leadership development. Not many do thought leadership development specifically for research-driven organizations. What also distinguishes me is I take uh, what I call an ecosystem approach which is holistic and strategic. So I think the entire organization should be benefiting from thought leadership and the entire organization has a stake in it. Um, so normally when thought leadership is done, thought leadership content, it's the purview of the comms department or marketing mm -hmm. or maybe researchers are doing it on their own right. in these organizations. I think you need, my point of view is that you need a thought leadership program that's leading those subject matter experts to produce the great content and uh, that's training them uh, in the skills that they need and that's disseminating that content not just to the organization's key audiences but also internally so that it can be used by the entire organization is it an oversimplification to say that uh, most organizations approach thought leadership at a departmental level and you'd like to elevate it to the whole organization level yeah, so I'd say that um, for most organizations that I work with, uh, thought leadership is divisional, not functional. Uh -huh. um, so it's caught in a division, usually comms and marketing. Right. And I think it should be functional. So I think you need to be working across the research program, across sales, if you have a sales department, across uh, development, if you have development department for, for fundraising mm -hmm. and across any, every strategic function of the organization has a stake in it. And that should be the functional team that's developing thought leadership. So how did you get, you're vertically focused, but you've also got this very strong sort of horizontal component to what it is you do. As you mentioned in your, your intro, I think a lot of organizations could benefit from thought leadership. So how did you end up with those those twin specializations or that sort of multidimensional specialization? So this is the first business that I've run. Uh, I've worked for a long time before I started the business in these kinds of organizations uh, in marketing and communications, probably stretching back 20 years. Mm. So I live in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, and these kinds of organizations are thick on the ground here. Right. My last job was uh, at the Nature Conservancy, which is uh, one of the largest con private conservation organizations in the world, and I was the director of science communications there. And I developed a, a thought leadership program there. Um, they've got about 600 scientists, and we had a um, an elite I'm going to call it elite now because I don't work there anymore. I've never said it, but, but you can't do that when you're working inside a nonprofit. Um, that's the culture. But mm -hmm. uh, we had an, an a program for elite scientists to 
train them in the skills they needed to be thought leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started my business, it was not focused on that. It was uh, flagrantly undifferentiated. I was mm-hmm. a science communications specialist when I first went out. So I would develop a communications plan for you. I'd do presentation training for you. Um, mm-hmm. I'd write a speech for you. Um, and then I worked with, I had a really good, I've never wanted for work going out uh, and I had a really good, um, referral chain. But as I saw the referral chain start to fray a little bit, I reached out to David Baker, who you've had on the show, uh, who's a consultant who helps. He's a consultant to, um, entrepreneurs, uh, and gives them advice on positioning, um, business structure. Mm-hmm. And he looked at my, he looked at my business. I was completely transparent with him and we developed together this positioning around thought leadership, uh, development for, uh, these clients. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, um, I don't know if you've worked directly with, with David. I know that I, you've talked with him. Um, it's a, um, it's a fascinating experience. Mm-hmm. And when he proposed this to me, I, um, I initially resisted it mm. because when I, when I started the program inside the nature conservancy, it was really, it was really hard work. Uh-huh. And I thought, wow, I did that already. You know, I did that and it was really hard and, uh, really challenging and, and, you know, in many ways, not rewarding, but the position of being a consultant outside of these organizations, being able to help people learn from them, learn from the lessons that I learned, and then being able to develop my expertise in this, I've actually found it very rewarding. So, so, uh, so it it's, was, it's a good, it was a good move. Interesting. So, so is it right to say that you felt like you were kind of setting yourself up? for a slog, but, but it turned out not to be that case. I saw the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw the business opportunity. What I, what I didn't see was initially was the passion. I felt like it was something that I'd already done. Right. I see. But in fact, doing it outside organizations, I actually hadn't done it. Because when you're inside the organization, you don't have the perspective that working with 12 different organizations at, at the same time on, the, on a single problem gives you. You don't see the patterns. You don't start to see the patterns. And, you, yeah, you don't have – I actually wasn't doing it full-time when I was in TNC either. So okay. um, I found it – I have found it to be much more, more rewarding as the consultant helping people set these I have a feeling we're going to come back to that um, perspective thing, that seeing patterns thing. But it's interesting to me because usually the point of resistance to the kind of specialization that you adopted is either something like, oh, it's going to be monotonous just to work with the same type of organization over and over again or, um, or something else like I don't think there's enough of them or I don't know how to find them or something like that. 
did any of that stuff come up or um, was it more focused on, oh, this just feels like a repeat of, of a, you know, a challenging period in my career? Well, there have been different challenges. Yeah. Uh, you just wrote an email. Uh, I'm going to say this morning. I know this is going to be broadcast later, but right. uh, actually, no, I'm you gonna... just wrote an email today. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. Uh, you don't know this, but I'm going to I'm going to publish this first part of this interview later today. Anyway, go ahead, oh, Bob. Okay. <laughs> so it okay. is timely. Well, there you go. It's timely. Uh, your email today talked about verticals, and you said, um, uh, I believe it's Tra- Travis Northcote works with um, membership organizations. Right. You, said, you know, it's it's not quite a vertical. It's more of an audience, and that's actually been one of the biggest challenges. Is that these. Um, this definition that I'm working with is a definition that people it's, 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 it's self-identified. It's in some cases aspirational. Right. And there isn't a single list that you can buy or a single association that you can tap into. So there isn't a ready-made addressable market. You have to go out and, and um, cultivate those relationships in a different way. Yeah, so one of the things I ask that illuminates that is how do your clients find you? And I'm I'm curious how they find you. It has still largely been through referrals. Right. Um, So at this point, um, and they also find me through the website. The work is intense enough so that if somebody's coming in with work that's a little bit off kilter, for me that's that's a little bit off point mm-hmm. uh i'm i'm happy to say no yeah right now but uh i am setting up marketing automation uh for myself right now and we'll be um we'll be starting to and I'm, i i have a list service and i'm i'm diving into that and we'll be developing um developing a list and, and marketing to them soon yeah but i think it's this is the kind of business, Philip, where uh, if you get it, you'll come. And if you don't, I don't particularly want to spend the time convincing you that thought leadership is important. Right. Right. Because it's a commitment and it's a it's as I think we'll talk about in a bit. It's a cultural shift for the organization to do this, to orient around uh, producing this kind of content and using it as their as one of the pillars of their content marketing strategy. So, um, I I am going to assume that your the work you do moves the needle for clients. You know, it produces tangible results. Um, I don't think that's that much of a leap, <laughs> but you tell me uh, when that happens, what does it look like? And, you know, how, how long does it take to happen? That's, I'm sure, a factor as well. Yeah. So I think some of the markers that I look at are they're, they've been producing thought leadership content, but they're now doing it not reactively, but they're doing it strategically in alignment with their business objectives. Hmm. That's first of all. The second would be that the content they're producing is of higher quality. And then they're also producing it 
in much greater frequency uh, because they need to insert themselves in debates and conversations with decision makers generally. Mm-hmm. So these are organizations, I should say, that want to have impact in the world. Mm-hmm. They want to make change in the world. And so they're not just doing research for research's sake. They want that research to eventually lead to solutions for regional or global problems or to change minds. So they want to have more impact and they need to just on a basic process level, if what I'm doing is work for them, they're doing more and better thought leadership content that's in alignment with who they are rather than saying, Oh, uh, president Trump did this today. Let's get an op-ed together. And, a week later, they're sending it out, and it's too late, mm-hmm. for example, and it's not very good. Uh, some of the other markers would be things like inbound requests from media uh, for interviews and backgrounders. The, the content they're generating is giving them more of that. Mm-hmm. They're getting more fundraising leads. They're getting more collaboration leads. Um, it helps with their hiring, the quality of that applications. Applicants are mentioning that they've read these thought leadership pieces and they're motivated to work at a place like this because um, that place values subject matter experts, visibility. Um, so all of those things are indicators that the work is moving the needle. But I wanted to mention two other things, which are sort of before that, mm-hmm. there's a kind of shock value to the work uh, of clarity that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of these organizations think they're thought leaders, but when I get done with them, they realize that they're not in some important ways. Mm. Uh, and then they have clarity on what the obstacles are, or they should have clarity on what the obstacles are precisely to them being better at thought leadership and exploiting it to its fullest value so that they can go focus on those things. Right. Really what the strategy is. So I'm getting the sense that for the folks who kind of get it but don't have a lot of experience with this idea of thought leadership, um, something of a specific example would be helpful. And I'm not wanting you to name names or anything like that, but I wonder if you can kind of offer a, a more specific example of what this looks like. So a TED Talk would be an example of thought leadership. Okay. Uh, an op-ed that you read in the New York Times um, by a prominent scientist in the National Academy. Mm-hmm. That's an ex- on, a, on an issue that, uh, that people are talking about with a solution uh, provided at the end of the piece. That's, a, that's an example of thought leadership. Okay. Um, yeah, even an infographic can be a, can be an example of thought leadership. Uh, there, we could define those things, but I think, you know, broadly speaking, it's an idea that's really framed compellingly, and that's disseminated to audiences that can use it in their own lives. Do you think the like so the solution that's one component is that optional is that mandatory are there other things like it has to be opinionated or it has to have a point of view you know i have i have a background in content so these are things that 
ideas that make sense to me. I'm not sure how native they'll be to our audience, but you know, what, what components just have to be there for it to be considered thought leadership? So it has to have an argument. That's the first piece of that's, that's, I think first among equals, it has to have a strong, clear point of view and an argument that uh, on its own terms is unassailably sound. Um, they're usually driven by a single question, especially given um, con- conditions of reception today by audiences. So and it's a single burning question, not a topic. His conditions of reception, a nice way of saying short attention spans. <laughs> that is, that is but but I, it's, a, it's a non-judgmental way of saying yeah, that. Right. Thank you. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. If you're in the bathroom on the iPhone, right, that, that's, a, that's a particular condition of reception. Right. right. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, having whatever the thing is, the speech, the, the op-ed, um, uh, focus on a single burning question. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a Venn diagram that's, it's, it's got to address a current issue. Here's the Venn diagram. It's three things. It's white hot. Mm-hmm. It's in your wheelhouse and it attains white space. And that's, um, I'm, I'm taking that from a group, um, that does thought leadership development called bloom based in Boston. Um, the three factors, let me explain each of those white hot means that it's, it's dealing with a current issue or a big pain point for your audience, whoever they are. So it's then written from your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. It's written from your expertise and white spaces. It's addressing the existing problem in a different way, or it's articulating a new problem and serving as an early warning system for your audience, hmm. or it's articulating a new solution to that problem. Okay. It's, it's, so, it's finding some gap in what's out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've got to know what you're talking about. It's got to be a problem that people care about, or when you frame it up, well, they will care about, and you've got to have a novel point of view. So those are, three pretty high bars together to one high bar. You asked about solutions. There's an old formula that says, um, you know, if you're writing an op-ed, it should be 20% problem, 80% solution. I think you can, you can relax a little bit on that, but solution is really an important part of thought leadership content because especially for the audiences of the organizations I deal with, they're, they're dealing with decision makers and decision makers are impatient with people who just articulate problems. Mm, right. They want, they want, they want to know about the problem, but they want a solution to earlier. You mentioned the C word uh, by which I mean culture. And my experience is that takes time to change. So is in moving the needle for clients, is there a sort of delay or a lag time or just a timeline that, where they need to have appropriate expectations about how quickly change is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's oftentimes thought leadership is not in people's objectives, for example. And that's one way to 
start to change the culture around things. But if you have a culture where your subject matter experts, where you'd like to be a thought leader as an organization, but your subject matter experts, the people who should be writing it, are writing it in their spare time on Friday afternoons, and then they they don't get to it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to produce a lot of thought leadership. So it's got to be a priority. You figure out how to do and getting strong, clear support from the top of the organization is critical. Mm -hmm. So once I do a diagnostic for the organization, once I do an assessment, we'll come together in a meeting and discuss the findings and then discuss, okay, what are the essential foundational shifts that would need to happen to make this happen and to make my recommendations happen? And how do we start to put those in place? It's different for every organization, obviously, and sometimes you have to move slowly. But mm -hmm. I also think that there are steps like skill building that you can start with some subject matter experts that there are things you can start to do more quickly uh, than other things. Um, starting to share content within the organization more widely Mm -hmm. is is a is a step that's that's a lot easier to do what's the bracket you know what's fast and what's slow when it comes to these kinds of changes well it's i think the hardest thing the 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 slowest moving piece is the actual development of I thought leader from from what I call an emerging thought leader to a, a sector thought leader, somebody who is recognized in their in their sector or a target sector. Let's mm -hmm. say it's agriculture mm -hmm. as a person that is going to get conference keynotes, is going to um, their blog posts are going to be read. Um, they're going to get private meetings with roundtables. Developing that is a year, years-long process. Right. That's the slowest part. but um, And that has to be taken into consideration in the organizational strategy for thought leadership. Like, do you want to develop those people? Or do you want to hire at that level someone who has that expertise and has that gravitas and bring them in? Right. That's a big decision. Um, so, yeah, that's the development, the systems and the resourcing for support. That's probably the easiest part and mm. the objectives. The actual development can take time. Okay. Yeah, that, that first part, the you know, getting getting somebody on the stage or really getting them to earn that spot on, on a national stage, am I right to say maybe three to five years is appropriate? time frame to think in terms of it depends where they're starting from sure and it depends yeah. on the sector too right okay if, is, if the sector is smaller then yes uh if the sector is enormous then it's going to take longer but you can bite off parts of that gotcha. and again this is where positioning this is all about sorry i'm i'm speaking to your heart right now but this is really all about positioning mm-hmm Right. It's like, what is in I, part of the reckoning for these organizations is 
what are they really positioning? What are they really specializing in? Right. Right. It's not a huge category. It's some particular questions. What do they really want to own and what do they want their people to own? Making those decisions and then concentrating their efforts towards owning those spaces, those are really critical decisions. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it all begins with that that question. Uh, what do we want to be known for in some period of time in the future? <laughs> 